and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The old story of a convict it just came to my mind this week as we heard news reports of escapees up north, east. The story goes like this, a man uh, sentenced for life, he was never going to be able to get out, said, I am not going to stay here, and after 10 years of, of plotting, of scheming and planning, developed a way to get out of prison. He made an alliance with the undertaker, who was also a fellow prisoner. The undertaker, he convinced and said, hey, when word goes out that someone has died, I'll sneak out of my cell at night, I'll get down into the morgue, crawl into the coffin, you come in in the morning, nail the coffin shut, take it to the cemetery, which is outside the prison walls. A little bit later, you claim, ah, I left a shovel or something out there, they'll let you outside the prison walls, dig me up, set me free. Awesome plan. And so five years went by, and ten years, and finally at twelve years, twelve years after the plan was hatched, the word went out in the prison that day, somebody died. The man was so excited, he could taste freedom. That night as it got dark, he crawled out of his cell, he got down to the morgue, crawled into the coffin with the body. He was so, he knew it, he was just hours, hours from freedom. In the morning, he heard the workers come in and nail the coffin lid shut, felt that being carried outside, kind of knew the time and distance that it would take, felt the coffin being lowered into the ground, heard the dirt as it came down onto the coffin lid. <sighs> Almost there. Almost there. And he, he knew that it would be an hour or two. It, it was dark. Time passes slowly. He was counting it in minutes, but his breath began to increase. He began to almost get to a panic fever. He's, I've got to check and see what time it is. I've got one match. I want to be able to look at my watch. No, wait, wait. He'll be here. He'll be here. And then panic again sets in a little bit later, and finally he, just, he can stand it no longer. How long has it been? Where is he? Why hasn't he come out here? And he lights the match, sees the clock on his watch, and simultaneously sees the face of the undertaker. So my question for you this morning is with whom are you buried? The question is with whom are you buried? Because if you are buried with anybody else but Jesus Christ, there is no hope of escaping the grave. You may think you're smart enough. Maybe you're scientific enough. Maybe, maybe you think you'll develop some kind of serum or, or a potion that'll keep you alive forever. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. And you may say, I've been so faithful to God. Uh, surely He will let me live forever. I'll never taste those pangs of death. It's not going to happen. Maybe you think your, your family name is so grand in the town in which you grew up, you're going to have a big mausoleum, there's going to be a great big marker, it's not going to keep you from being in the grave. 
You see, this morning, Abigail came to the holy waters of baptism brought by her parents, and, and these words were spoken in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You see, Romans 6 says these words, Do you not know that you who are baptized in Christ are baptized into His death? That's what baptism does, is it drowns you. Theologically, you're dead in the holy waters of baptism. And if that were the end of the story then shame on us this morning, right? There'd be no hope there. There'd be nothing that gives anyone any inkling of wanting to be baptized, but that's not the end of the story. You see, the end of the story is, is that don't you know that by being buried with Christ in your baptism, you know that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And because you're buried with Him in death, and He rose from the dead, you too will have new life. That's the hope. That's the point, is that death doesn't win, folks. Cancer doesn't win. Divorce doesn't win. A new job doesn't win. A family that ignores you, that shuns you, they don't win. Your sin that so easily entangles, God says, does not win. This is the sermon that Peter preaches right out of the gate. When the Holy Spirit descends in tongues of flame with a mighty rushing wind, yes, the disciples can speak languages to the people that are gathered in Jerusalem. What they hear is a proclamation that death doesn't win. And I don't know where you're at today. My guess is, is when you were five years old, you believed that you were invincible and that you would live forever. My guess is, is that as you turn 10, you probably still thought you would live forever. But usually, in about that age, maybe a grandparent died. maybe an aunt or an uncle, maybe somebody that was close to you, and you began to realize for the first time in your life that not everyone lives forever. Some of you have lost children or spouse, and you really know People do not live forever. And, and death has its way of making this life stink. Death has a way of bringing about things that we don't want to be thinking about sometimes. Death has a way of being so real, so sobering, that it can become oppressive. 
It can weigh us down. The fear of dying can keep us even from living. The fear of a family member dying can keep us from enjoying. Death is a robber. And he steals. And he destroys. This is why Peter chooses to preach this sermon this way. Because, I'll guarantee you, if you have someone in your life that is not a believer, and you've tried hundreds of ways to engage them, if you've tried, how do I get them to try to come to church? They, they're, they're mad at the church. and they're, I, I guarantee you one topic that you'll be able to talk to them about, and that is the topic of death. Now, they may not agree with you. They may not say, well, I, just, I don't believe in the Bible. But ask this question. What happens at the end of life here on earth? Now, you'll get various answers. For an unbeliever, I've heard people tell me, uh, well, you just become worm food. Yeah, it's just over. So we're just going to enjoy everything that's here. It doesn't matter what happens for eternity. And I say, okay, I mean, I, I, can, I can understand that. Because if you don't have hope for an eternity, if you don't believe there's something else, well, then you'd probably just get stuck in the grave and you de decompose, you decay. But I love sharing with them, as well as others, who say, you know, I, I don't know what happens at the end of life. Huh. Do you want to hear what I think? And I've never had anyone turn me down. Yeah, go ahead, tell me. I mean, I know you're probably going to talk about heaven, but go ahead and tell me. And what I love sharing is this story that our God, who was fully man and fully God, came on this earth, went to Calvary, died my death, died the death I deserve. And Romans 6 tells me that those who are baptized into Jesus Christ know that because he rose, we too shall rise. And I say, my hope my salvation is in Jesus Christ because I know that the grave doesn't win. And that no matter what, at the end, last days, my body will be raised because Jesus' body was raised. And you may not believe the word of Holy Scripture. That's fine. But I want you to know this. This is what I was telling. I'm praying for you to know this. Because in Holy Scripture, knowing it is not just intellectual assent. Knowing it is living it. The first century Jews had this understanding, mostly from their Hebrew background, but also the Greeks kind of understood this as well. To know something was not intellectual assent. It's not the mere, I have the knowledge and can put it down on a test. To know something means that it is ingrained in you. And that you know it because you've experienced it. It means that you live it in such a way that it's a part of your being. That's what it means to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have hope. And so Peter's sermon this morning is about that death and hope in Jesus Christ. Peter stood up with the eleven in verse 14, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. No, they're not drunk. I'm always amazed at people that want to belittle Christians all the time. Well, you're just too happy all the time. Really? Is there such a thing as too happy? 
It, it, well, you just have too much joy. You're not a realist. You need to accept that there are horrible things in this life. And I say, I do accept there are horrible things in this life. And the way I can get through it is because I have the joy of the Lord. It doesn't mean I'm singing a song every moment. It means that I can keep it in perspective. And people will always pick at Christians. Oh, well, you're just drunk. Oh, well, you're just too happy. Oh, well, you're one of those Bible thumpers, right? If you had a pastor growing up, they would, And the word of the Lord came to me. That's a Bible thumper, okay? <laughs> That's where the phrase comes from. We get picked on all the time. We can be called uh, accused names. We can be called uh, and accused for being drunk. Uh, the point is, is that God has us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And what are we witnessing to? We're witnessing to the fact that death doesn't win. He mentions this Bible verse from Joel where he acknowledges that God himself, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you understand? That is the point. That is the main idea for what Christians are proclaiming. That we believe at the end, it isn't the end. That death isn't where just the grave is in the ground. But that there is something else. And that something else is salvation. Now in verse 22, he continues, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Meaning, you saw him perform all these incredible things. He wasn't like any other man. This man was handed over by you, by God, and you killed him. I don't know when that realization was for you. The day that you understood that, that your sin, your disobedience to God is, is what means you deserve to be there. And that you realized God said, I'll go there for you. That's the gospel. When God sent his son, Jesus, he said, I I'll send my son in your place. He was nailed, he was dead, and he was buried. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death didn't win with Jesus. And what did Jesus smell like when he came out of the grave? You, you think about a dead body decomposing, rotting for three days. You know what he smelled like? He smelled like life. Because death and decay didn't even touch Jesus' body. We're not saying he began to his body decay and then God somehow fixed him all back up and made him come back out three days later. No, we're, we're saying Scripture is very clear. There was no decay in Jesus' body. There was no breakdown of any cellular part or structure. There was nothing leaking out of his body. Jesus was perfectly alive when he came out and death didn't even get a nibble <laughs> and 
so he begins to quote from the psalmist David, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. This is the confidence that somebody that knows they are buried with Christ, they realize that what you have is an advocate. Normally we talk about Jesus ascending to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God. You know why? That's a position and place of honor, yes. But secondarily, the reason Jesus sits at the right hand of God is because Jesus is the advocate of the Father. Jesus says, hey, pray in my name, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to God. Uh, we'll work this out. Jesus says, I do work on earth so that my, my Father's name is honored and glorified. Jesus is at the right hand because at the right hand means he, his job is to build up the Father. Now I want you to read this verse again. I saw the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. Who is at our right hand? God. Blew me away when I was reading, uh, studying it this week. I just thought, oh my gosh, how have I not, uh, how have I read this a thousand times and not understood that God stands at my right hand? Because he says, look what I made. Look who I've redeemed. Look who I bought with my son's blood. This is my son. And for ladies, this is my daughter. God stands at our right hand and says, I got your back. I've fearfully, wonderfully made you. You are my greatest creation, and I love you. God is our advocate. Do you understand why death, the grave, uh, sin, hell, none of those things should ever harm us, should ever alarm us, should ever be afraid of? Because God's going, oh, I already defeated that one. You don't have to worry about that. I already got that done. I've got a place for you. In fact, Jesus is getting the mansion ready. When he's done, I'll send him to come get you. See, that's why Christian has no fear. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Now this, we have an understanding that David is clearly saying, not only do you have hope for salvation in the future, but he says, live it now. Now my body has hope. You know the difference? Medical professionals have shared completely that you can even look at a person's EKG, uh, you know, brain function, that you can look at heart rates of somebody. If you say, do you have hope to make it through this? Their EKG looks different from somebody that says there's no hope. I mean, our body actually turns it on, if you will, and chooses life when there is hope. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. The promise that David says is, I know that even if I go to the grave, even if I decay, you know what? Ultimately, I won't see decay for eternity. Why? Because God will come, raise up the dust, my ashes, my bones, breathe life into them, and bring my body with me to heaven. That's the promise for the last day. Folks, it's done. It's a done deal. There's hope, not just for the future, but so that you can live now. And in verse 31, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. And Peter simply is pointing out, folks, believe the word. Trust in its promises. 
You see, if all we do is think about death, then it's overwhelming. But if we know that the grave doesn't win, then it makes it a little easier to live each day with everything that comes with the struggle of life. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what must we do? You see, their hearts had been hard. Their necks had been stiff. Their ears had been locked off. They thought that going to temple, offering the sacrifices, doing it this way and only this way would be what would save them. And what Peter says, no, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And who you are is a child of the living God, buried with Him and raised to newness of life. And that's why Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, you have been given an eternal hope and a daily hope. And that message is what your unbelieving friends ultimately want to hear, is that there's hope for something better. My prayer is that you will live it out. You will show that you know it by living it out in everything that you do and everything that you say. To God be the honor. To God be the glory. Amen.